Welcome back to Building Billions. On this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Kevin Turner, the only person who worked for all three CEOs of Microsoft, and he was handpicked and developed by Sam Walton. This gentleman has more information than most people will ever get in a lifetime, and I'm going to share it with you. So look, our next guest is a highly, highly unique CEO and executive who has served and excelled at two of the most admired companies in the world, which is Walmart and Microsoft. This guy has worked for some of the biggest, most impressive names on the globe. He was chief operating officer of Microsoft and he's the only person that worked with all three CEOs. Think about how many employees this guy has overseen. He ran global sales, marketing. He was a CIO, a CEO. He's had all the biggest jobs that you can imagine with over 70,000 employees in more than 190 countries. Think about this. Somebody who's transitioned from Bill Gates to Steve Ballmer to, to Satya, I can't even say his name, Nadella. You know, he's worked for some of the, 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 the biggest and most impressive human beings that have done some of the most crazy things. He spent nearly 20 years at the Walmart stores where he rose to the ranks and was named the youngest corporate officer ever at Walmart at age 29. Boy, we're going to ask him about what it's like working with Sam Walton. Can you imagine the legacy there? He's one of the most sought after executives and operators in the world today. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce a dear friend of mine, Mr. Kevin Turner. So, so let's talk a little bit about your, how your career got started so that people can catch up with how you landed here today. Okay. Well, I, I have very humble beginnings. I, uh, thought I was going to have an athletics career in football and baseball. It didn't work out. So my dad said, get a job. And, uh, at that time, the job in my town was a Walmart cashier. So I started as a Walmart cashier going to college, uh, worked my way up, had a great experience in the stores. In fact, one of the cool things is by the time I graduated, I was like chief customer service manager. I was running the cash office at 21 years old. Can you imagine? So a lot of you that say you can't get talent, think about the kind of things this guy was doing in his early 20s. And, and uh when I got out of college, I had two job offers. I had one with the FBI in Washington, D.C., and one with Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas. And uh, the FBI paid $30,000 a year, and Walmart paid $18,000 a year in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I chose the Bentonville, Arkansas route um, because the math was actually a little better uh, working out that way, but it ended up being a very important decision in my life. And I started as, a, as an auditor. I was one of 40 kids that was chosen to come into the company as an auditor. Uh, I was the only one of the 40 kids in my class to uh, have worked in the stores. So I became a very effective auditor and it was a two-year job. So was, you did it for two years and then they rotated you out into the business. This was something Sam Walton kind of created that GE and others later coined. Um, but it was an interesting position because I was finding all these things in the stores and all this stuff. And I got the attention of Sam Walton and he called me down one day and said, you know, young man, I've been reading your reports and yours are different than others. How come that is, you know, why is that? And I said, well, Mr. Walton, I worked in the stores and he loved that, um, by the way. And so he said, well, I'll tell you what, your second year of audit, why don't you come do audits for me? 
I got some things I want you to look at and and uh, come down and work with me. And so I did. So I finished my first year. My second year, I went down. Uh, he was a, a floor down below us and, and uh, worked with him for a year and did, did things, traveled with him some and did various things he wanted me to look at. And at the end of my second year, this was another one of those life's decision moments. I said, Mr. Walton, you know, my time is up and what do you think I ought to get into? And he said, you know, for a young guy like yourself, I think you ought to get into information systems, uh, which became information technology. And uh, so I did. I moved over, taught myself how to program. And well, and, then, and so we think about this. So you start out, you're in your early 20s. You actually somehow, through operational excellence and understanding how the business worked, you put yourself in a position where Sam Walton is asking you or recommending you or mentoring you into a role, right? He could see the world was evolving too. Right. And I didn't know anything about it. I'd had one programming class in college, basic, which most people have, and, and uh, moved over, taught myself how to program. I was working, I don't know, 120 hours a week, trying to learn it at the same time. And me and another guy wrote the very first receiving and logistics system for Walmart, which saved a zillions of dollars and thousands of jobs and and uh, kind of worked my way up the how range. old were you when when in that moment where that actually ended up being the result how old were you i was about 24 years old can you Five. imagine yeah 24 years old never underestimate the power and of the youth <laughs> and worked my way up the well you know i and then and I'll, I'll finish the story but then i want to give credit to where credit's really due i think and 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 so i i've you know, worked my way up the ranks in IT, and I became CIO eventually, uh, chief information officer for the whole company. Wow! And uh, which is important because, as a young director, I met these two guys. Uh, they told me to go pick up at the airport, uh, and so I got my car, drove out to the airport to pick up these two guys, and it was, it was uh, Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates. <laughs> and uh, hey, they, son. Go over in the airport and pick this, these they guys were, up. They weren't selling enterprises direct back then. And, uh, and so I, you know, I was a young director in applications at the time, and I met these two guys and became friends with them, and they were amazed at all the applications we were building and how much money we were spending on IT, and they were really studying you know, the enterprise business at the time. And, and so I became very good friends with both of them at the time. And I worked my way up, became CIO, and then my last job there at Walmart was um, uh, president and CEO of Sam's Club. So I was a very young guy running a $36 billion business with 200,000 employees or so, and uh, had a blast doing that. And then when Bill Gates was gonna move into his philanthropy, he wanted me to come to Microsoft. Uh, he was gonna transition over a couple of years, so I moved to from from Walmart to Microsoft and Seattle. So, so as a relationships, <clears throat> relationships are important. Correct. And, and, and collaboration with people. Right. And one of my favorite stories about that is when I, you know, became, uh, moved up the ranks in IT, Microsoft had this, you know, they were not selling enterprises direct and Walmart was the fastest growing company in the world at the time. And and I had 40 different partners they were making me use to pay their bills. And so finally, it was just too much for us growing as fast as we were. So I, I accrued my bill and I stopped paying them. 
And uh, Steve flew in there. Steve Ballmer flew in there, and he's like, hey, man, what, what's up? You're not paying my partners, and subsequently, I'm not getting paid. What's going on? And I'm like, well, I tell you what, Steve, you've got to deal with me direct. I'm not going to go through these partners anymore. And uh, so he and I spent eight hours in a conference room and developed the very first enterprise agreement in the history of Microsoft. It was with Walmart between Steve Ballmer and myself. And now the enterprise agreement is the main, you know, revenue vehicle for all of all of Microsoft. So it was a very fundamental thing to do. So you took a problem. Yeah. You took the problem that Walmart and Sam's Club have needing to have systems. Right. And, and we talk a lot about that, the scaling process. Right. The bigger you get, it, your systems get more complicated. They don't, you don't, you don't deploy systems one time. Right. And be like, oh, it's all done. I'm going to grow forever. Exactly. Um, and, and you took that, you learned how to integrate and manage the business. And then all of a sudden that became a business. Exactly. Came their biggest business by far. And then I uh, was at Microsoft for a long time. I traveled, I opened up countries for them and I traveled 220 days a year for over 13 years. And that was a, that was a blast and it was super hard at the same time. Uh, but I learned a ton, you know, 191 countries is a big, that's a big operation, a billion and a half customers use the products every day and uh, just had an absolute blast doing that and transitioned the company to the cloud. That was a big transformation that happened. I mean, anybody ever moved their business to the cloud? Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. Would you agree? But it's the future. It's the future. And, uh, and then I did that. And then I, had a, I, then I had a friend say, hey, won't you go to dinner with this guy? And and it was this guy was Ken Griffin, who runs Citadel, which is the largest, probably the most successful hedge fund, certainly on returns wise in the world. And Ken Griffin flew to uh, Seattle and said, you know, he had a couple, multiple times. He didn't just get me a hello on the first dinner date, but he uh, he talked me into joining Citadel. So that was another stop along the way. So and you understand. it's been fascinating working for Sam Walton, Bill Gates. Three of the most powerful in Griffin uh, in my career, and I did that for a while, and that was fun. And and then so I got to ask you, I got to ask, yeah, you, I got. When you think of those three dynamic personalities, I mean, these are three of the biggest names in the globe for innovation in business. What was it like? What was the main differences between a Sam Walton, a Bill Gates, and a, a, a Ken? Well, there's one huge similarity, although there's three entirely different people. Um, and I, I like to start with what, what was common and cause there wasn't a lot of commonality between the three, but there was one specific thing that was very common. They all had something inherently called divine discontent. And Sam Walton really coined that, but the other two had it too. They're never satisfied. No matter how good you do it, you can always do it better. And the ability to have that strive for excellence you know, you know, the, the pursuit of excellence is so exciting, so invigorating that when you attract people who want to be a part of that, you get the very best people. Because if you don't want to be a part of the pursuit of excellence, it'll wear you out. It'll tire you out. It'll wear you down. You know, you, it'll beat you down. Uh, but all three of those guys get up every single day and say, how can I make this better? How can we improve something? And what, would, and what would happen if any of those guys was surrounded by somebody that said, but things are okay the way they are, or I don't really want to change because we like to be comfortable. What would, 
any of those three guys say in that scenario? They would say, you know, we can still be friends, but you can't work here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just want to make sure all the business owners. <laughs> they would say, we're going to miss you. <laughs> we're going to miss you. You're a good dude. It's been a great. We're working. still friends. Yeah. But you can't work here. <laughs> Here's a lesson. Write that down. It's okay to be friends with people in your business that don't want to. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes the job outgrows good people too. And we can still be friends there because what, you know, all that is what got you here won't get you there. That happens very regularly in businesses is the job does outgrow good people. And you guys, you guys have heard that over and over with the scaling process, right? And many of you that have gone through hyper growth, you've actually experienced it. And, and, and I think what we would tell you is that that's just, you're going to have to accept if you're going to get big, that's going to be the norm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what was the strongest, like, like that's the one thing all three had in common. What was the biggest differential between the three? Um, well, Sam Walton was beautiful in public and tough as nails in private. Bill Gates was just tough all the time. <laughs> he was tough all the time. And Keith Griffin's probably the smartest subject matter expert that I've ever been around in my entire life. I mean, I just, I don't know if you follow Citadel or not. They just had their returns out. I mean, I, I think they just moved to Miami, didn't they? They did. Yeah. They relocated out of Chicago a little bit. But I mean, I think the refund was up 29% in this market. I mean, it, it he is absolutely just a brilliant, you know, financial engineer and in, in what he does and the company that he runs. So they're, they're very different in that way, but they're, like I said, very committed to excellence, very committed to making progress and uh, just zero tolerance for complacency and mediocrity. Uh, would you say that in your experience, with all your experience, that when you encounter any organization that is okay with complacency and mediocrity, you intuitively already know they're going to have a big problem. The world's going to pass you by. I mean, that is, you know, the, the toughest thing that you see in business is a really good business that had a good idea, but they don't continually evolve. They don't iterate. The customer's changing. The market's changing. Technology's changing. So you have to keep changing and iterating on what, where do I add value? Where do I differentiate? You know, my philosophy is if you can't differentiate, you can't make money. No matter what tier of the market you're in, you're in the high end, the premium market, the middle market, or the opening price point bargain market, it, you still have to differentiate and create value for customers continually, or you won't be able to make money, make margin uh, within that business. You'll get compressed over time. And that's, that's where having that divine discontent uh, and constantly iterating on your business is so important. I hope you all wrote that divine discontent down because I, I think that being Grant Cardone's business partner now for four years, he definitely has that. Absolutely. Definitely. But you know what it does is it keeps all of us pushing. Absolutely. And pushing and paying attention and pushing. And you want, the, the hard is what makes it great. I mean, the people who are attracted to, you know, rising expectations, increasing responsibilities and accountability and winning, those are the people that most people want to be around. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, winners win. 
And this is coming from a guy like, 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 you know, interestingly enough, uh, you've heard from three different speakers, including myself, talking, throwing around the word trillions, right? And, and talking about how big the market opportunity, especially in the small to mid-sized business space, uh, and the trillions of wealth transfer. Um, and, and, and so I don't know that I've actually ever met anybody that's run a trillion dollars through their business. When you add up how much money of the businesses you've sat over, especially on the systems you built, this is the crazy right, part too, right. your technology platforms, how much money do you think you had? I mean, it's well over a trillion dollars. Yeah. 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 Right. Man, this is some serious power. Serious. I got a question for you. This is a Grant Cardone question. He always loves to ask this question. What's, with all your experience, what's more important to you, sales or marketing? You know, I think, honestly, marketing, because I, I believe that for every great seller, they have to have a story to tell. And the, the real shortage in the world is there's not very many good storytellers anymore. Was there's a real shortage in the world right now of great storytellers. Uh, but I think the value prop, being able to make it crystal clear, have that marketing pitch and your positioning in the market, and then turning the sellers loose around that is a much more effective message, messaging system than having the sellers go and then trying to figure the marketing out behind it. Um, so I, I'm definitely a, a person that says, let's start with the pitch, let's start with marketing, Let's get it nailed, and then let's make sure the sellers are aligned to it. You guys saw that on our, our new TV show, right? Like how important the storytelling is, but many of you as business owners, you, you get stuck talking about the thing you're doing versus telling the story on why someone would be compelled or interested in why you're doing it yeah. and how it benefits them. I, we'd love to do this little thing we call it the popcorn round. And, and all of you have seen my wheel with the 10 elements of growing and scaling a business, right? So I'm just going to read off each one of those elements. And what I want him to do is rank on a scale of one to 10, the significance and importance of each element. Having a strategy in business. 10. Marketing. Nine. Sales. Eight. People. 10. Operations. Eight. Finance. Eight. Leadership. Ten. Data. In this world that we live in, ten. The right kind of technology. Eight. And having an investment thesis and in where you're going to put your capital in order to grow your business. Super important. Ten. So the thing is, is because when we talk about the small and mid-sized business owners, how can they possibly, when they're a million dollars or 3 million or 10 or 15 or 50, how can they possibly even know what a 10 looks like in either one of those categories from your perspective? Well, I mean, you guys provide a lot of tools to give people a blueprint and a template to be able to do that, which I think is fantastic. I think it's also studying... Um, you know, when your business isn't running well, you can usually ask yourself three questions very quickly and assimilate where you're at. Uh, 
Am I moving fast enough? Am I being bold enough? And do I have the right team? <laughs> and, and you can usually ask those three questions and get a lot of, you know, uh, that's very revealing when you give honest answers back to that, when the market's moving around you. So the ability to, you know, study who's doing it well, who's not doing it well, I think is important. Being able to look outside in, I think is super critical. I love starting with the customer and working back. Too many strategies start internally and go external. If you start with the customer and work back, you can then, you know, help devise a strategy that you can truly make a difference on. Um, the what is important, the how is mostly uh, underrated and can be more important um, because it's easy to say these grandiose things and then everybody sits around and goes, well, how do I do it? And so really getting into the nuts and bolts with the customer about what the value proposition is, what makes a difference, what doesn't, I think is a very effective way for people to develop their business strategy. And that's how I always start. So anytime I'm doing something new, I always try to start with the end and work backwards. Now the purpose, mm -hmm. the intention. Interesting, because you know, most small business owners just like all of a sudden they're like, I'm gonna start a business. They get a logo, website, landing page, start telling people what they're gonna do, start doing it. Then they gotta deal with people. Then they realize they're not paying them right or they're not generating any money because they didn't pay their margins. So what's harder, starting a business and growing it to 10 million or 100 million or taking over a $38 billion company and trying to triple that? <laughs> I mean, they all have their own relative complexity scales. I mean, but the one common denominator between both businesses is people. At mm. today's age, it's more important to ask people their opinion than it is to tell them they did a good job. So being able to involve people, you know, bring them along on the journey, share, help them share in the success, make them owners in the business, if you will, uh, and create those people who want to be a part of excellence is an excellent way to be able to help keep your business out of the ditch, to keep it growing and thriving. You know, moving from this, this antidote of I'm going to go from surviving to thriving, right? Yep. That, that's, that's what we're all trying to do in life. And I think that uh, is very doable if you involve people collectively, ask their opinions, get them involved, and let them have skin in the game. How do you, you know, for, for it's, it, I, I, I ask that question because when people don't know how to hire, attract, align, develop, or retain great people, it, 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 it's just, they got to learn all those skill sets and it's usually through trial and error. And, and uh, for someone that's run a trillion dollars through your fingers on your rails, how many people do you think that you've overseen in that whole process of, of running? I mean, hundreds of thousands, uh, you know, all over the world. How, I, I just, I, this is a personal question because I fancy myself being able to f attract good talent, but I've never been challenged to, 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 to have hundreds of thousands of people. How do you even start when you walk in a, a business and there's tens of thousands of people to even figure out what to do first? Well, you, you figure out who's on the team. It's usually a third, a third, a third. A third are on the team, a third aren't sure whether they're on the team or not, and a third probably need to go do something else. 
So when you get into a business, you can almost put it in a third, a third, a third. And you got to win the hearts and minds of all of them. And you got to help the people who are at the bottom that, that, that probably want to be doing something different. You got to help them find their passion. Uh, but I always find it's easy to start by asking somebody, what's your hopes and dreams? I remember when I got to Microsoft and I started asking, I had 17 direct reports and I started asking each of them, well, tell me, before we even get into anything, tell me your hopes and dreams. And they're like, they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like no one's ever asked me that before. Why would you want to know that? And I'm like, well, it tells me a lot about you. I don't care if it's personal, professional, or otherwise. I want to know what you're all about. Tell me what, you know, winds you up. Because that'll help me better engage with you and motivate. So I, I always like to start with, what are someone's hopes and dreams? And if it's not doing what we're doing and you're not passionate about what we're doing, that's okay. We can still be friends. But let's, let's find someone that is. And that starts with that business owner really being a great evangelist for their cause, for their purpose, for their business aspirations. Because it's not always about that entry-level job. It's about what you could be. You could become a shift manager and then, you know, then a line manager and then the director of our, our business if you want to, if you want it bad. And how do you transcend that from the 17 to the 38,000? How do, how do you ensure that that goes through the organization the way that you need it to and, and gets from top down? Repetition. Repetition is the mother of learning. So you can't explain why enough. You can't assume because they should know what it is that they already, already know what it is. You have to continually repeat the important things, continually be present in the important things, and don't leave anything for interpretation. Don't assume that everybody's got the message. Well, I, I, I can imagine when you have that many employees, you just, death, the assumption's death. One of my most valuable learnings was, I had a manager ask me one time, hey, what, what do, you, do you think your whole team is aligned? And I had a, had a team by 12 people. They go, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a guy. I'm always telling them, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on our priorities. He goes, okay, try this exercise. For Call everybody into a conference room in your next staff meeting. Have everybody take out a blank sheet of paper. Don't put your name on it. And tell everybody to write down your top five priorities. And then pass them all in. And he goes, when you do that, Kevin, how many different variations do you think you'll get? I said, of the five, 12 people, I don't know, you know, maybe seven to 10, but I think we'll all be aligned on the top two or three, but seven to 10. Well, when they put it all back in, I think I had like 38 different variations of what the top five was. <laughs> and it was a super humbling experience because you can't assume that people all get it. You have to continually repeat. Repetition is important. And explaining why is so undervalued. 100%. Let me ask you this question. Now, all of you that aren't training on Cardone U, this is why training every single day and creating a development organization that's intentional about making sure everyone on the team is developing, that creates a consistency in the organization to drive change. And, and hearing it from him, especially at that size, it just reinforces if they can do it at that size, you can do it when you have a small group of people. And how you handle the little things is how you handle the big things. Mm. So a great leader doesn't let little things go uncorrected. They fix them immediately. You know, at, I tell you, at Walmart, we, the first thing we used to do is drive around behind the store. 
People say, why would you drive around behind the store? We want to know if it's clean back there. We want to know if there's trash back there. We want to know if there's to organize back there. They have freight laying out there. Because how they handle those little things is how the rest of the store is going to look. Oh, what a, what a point. What a point. I have a question for you. If you were down to your last million and had to invest all of it in one thing, and it could only be one thing, what would that be for you? Man. In one thing. Well, the million would be betting on me for something. I mean, there you go. I mean, I'd probably, I think I'd go start a service business. Right? Yeah. I'd go start a service business betting on myself. Is my last million bucks. I'm going to go clean pools or I'm going to go, I don't know, hang garage doors or I'm going to do something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a service business that is differentiated. The internet's not going to disrupt me. Um, people still have to have it. It's an important function in life. But I would probably create a service business and bet on myself. There you go. Love that. When you come in here and you see 5,000 entrepreneurs that are all trying to better their life and achieve excellence, and I mean, you're not really here at a 10X conference if you want to be mediocre, to be honest. Uh, what are your thoughts about I get jacked up. I mean, these are people who want to be better. The, I mean, I, I come here because I'm learning. I'm sitting in the back learning stuff back here. I'm a, I'm a learner. And I see people sitting out here learning every day. I love being around winners. I think winners attract winners. And that's why I'm here. And I, I think the people who come to this are winners. And they want to be bigger winners. And they want to be, you know, they want to learn and grow. And I think th there's something about this idea of growth, this, you know, the, the 10X, obviously it's the, the, the company, the theme, and it's around. But growth matters. It, it, is, it is oxygen. You know, Gary was up here earlier. It, it is, uh, growth is oxygen. I'm alive when I'm growing, when I'm learning something, when I'm doing something. I feel better about myself. Let's go. That's why I'm <laughs> You know, it's interesting you brought up Gary Brecca. And everybody got to hear from a dear friend of yours, very close friend of yours. Yep. Uh, Dana White yesterday. Yep. And, uh, and Dana, of course, introduced you to Gary and I. Right. And as soon as you and I met, we realized we have homes in the same places. We have the same friends everywhere. Right. And we already knew each other. We just hadn't met. Right. Is it That's crazy the world story. gets small? That is a true story. Um, talk a little bit about 10X Health and what that's meant to you. Well, I did get this call from Dana White, and I've known Dana for years, um, and he is a good, very good friend of mine. And, and uh, he said, man, you got to trust me on this one. I want you to try this thing. Eight weeks, you know, just try it. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm in. So I uh, was at a UFC fight in uh, Dallas. I don't know exactly where I was. I was in Dallas. Yeah. And they took, uh, they took my blood and gave me an IV and did some stuff and did, a, did a, an analysis or whatever. And then I saw him the next week. I met with Gary. He went through my blood work. And without knowing any of my family history, Gary is able to tell me my family history, which of my family medical history. It was quite frightening, actually. 
So the first thing he says to me is he goes, hmm, you have a lot of pancreas problems in your family tree, don't you? And I go, as a matter of fact, I do. My dad died of a pancreatitis, unfortunately. My grandfather had pancreatic cancer. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's something I constantly worry about. And he goes, well, you're headed there. Let me show you. And he starts circling these. He's, you know, he's got a printout of my blood work, and he starts circling these variables. And he goes, but we can do something about that. And then he, at that point, you know, in the, in the spirit of uh, he had me at hello, um, you know, I, I was hooked. And so I, I lost 40 pounds and feel better than ever. And you know, I, I'm a walking... I'm a walking infomercial for Gary Brecka. Um, and I've got my family on the program. And, and uh, yeah, I do the full superhuman protocol. I've got the, the red light beds and the oxygen and the, the demagnetizer. And, cool I, mean, I can't talk about it as eloquently as he can, uh, but I do it. And I, I, it's, it's changed my life. I mean, and to be fair to him and, and uh, to the, the process that he and his team have created is quite amazing. And, you know, it's, it's something that it's really hard to put into words. I mean, I, I saw him this weekend and I let him know. I mean, you, you know, you made a big difference in my life and he has. It's incredible. Incredible. And from your perspective, because you and I have had the conversations around what we do in business and everything and, and, and what 10X, since you get to personally experience the result of 10X Health, and you're watching it with some of your closest yeah. friends who had some serious, you know, serious health issues. Right. What, what, how big a business do you think this is? I mean, I, I, I think it's as big as you and Grant want it to be. I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world, 300 and nearly 400 million in the U.S. I mean, everybody wants to feel better, look better, live longer, and live healthier. I, I don't know why there should be any limits on the business. It, it, it could be the only question you need to be asked and you and Grant both need to be asked is, you know, how much ambition do you really have for that business? Yeah, it's a good question. Because it's big. But I ask the questions. The potential could be big. Nobody but said I, you could ask a question. <laughs> I don't read that on the sheet. Kevin's going to grill Brandon and ask questions. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's going to be as big as you boys can handle. I do. Well, it's interesting hearing you talk because, um, because this is a business where at the, at the premium level, you certainly have options. Mm -hmm. uh, we're creating a whole offering in the mid-level and then at the entry for everyday people that live on a very specific budget and, and, and to your point, the differentiators at each one of those class levels have to be in place. But one of the things you watched me struggle through is the automation and technology side because sure. it's a manual business. It is. We bought it. And, and for a lot of you, you know, you, 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 you have asked me like, hey, Brandon, you know, uh, obviously partnered with Grant. Grant has given me the ability to think 10x, take 10x action, think about marketing and sales entirely different than I always have. But then you. I know many of you have asked, like, where do you get your input? Who do you talk to to help you figure out how to grow and scale and get bigger and get faster? Well, this is one of those gentlemen, by the way.
And when we caught, when you hear Grant or you hear me talk about finding the right mentors, you know, if you have ambition to run trillions through your business or to hire hundreds of thousands of people, you should be talking to the people who have done it, not listening to the people who are telling you how to do it, but don't have a clue how to do it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's, we got a few minutes here. Let me ask you this. If you thought about the different wealth strategies today for people to building wealth, what would be your recommendations to them would be the, the fastest way for, and these are mostly business owners sure. or high performance uh, earners. What would you think would be the fastest way for the people in this room to pursue wealth? Find something you're passionate about. You know, can, can you get, can, if you can truly find something you're passionate about and you're good at it, that's the secret sauce. You know, there are a lot of people that are good at things, but they're not passionate about it. There's other people that are passionate about certain things, but they're not good at it. Those are disconnected models. If you're good at it and you're passionate about it, that's the secret sauce that you can, you can scale anything if you want it bad. And if you, and you talked about if, if all of a sudden you had a million dollars and you were starting over, you would pick a service business. Mm -hmm. When you think of all the different market opportunities that are out there, and, and, and you were going to go look at starting new businesses, what you got technology, you got, you got, you know, you got the, 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 I mean, you got so many different choices. What do you think a guy like you would gravitate to if you're trying to pick which one to go into? Um, it might be that I want to take my million dollars and I want to turn it into 10 and then I might pivot. And I might take the 10 and want to turn it into 100. And what got me from 1 to 10 might not get me from 10 to 100. Okay? The margins in technology are, are indisputable. They're incredible. So if I had more than a million dollars, and let's say I had $10 million, I would be in software doing something. I mean, it just, that's where the, that's, that's where the margin is. And I know something about that. But if I had to get the $10 million, I'd do it in a service business and I'd grow it like hell and make the best service business I could with, as a means to an end. And, and even, even let's say the service business had great margins, there was huge demand for it, but you hated doing it. But if it got you to where then you could go do the thing you're passionate Absolutely. About, you'd still do it. Absolutely. Do it in a minute. Do it in a second. Yeah. I've met a lot of people, I know you have too, that have made their money hauling shitters around yeah to state fairs and to work sites yeah and i've met a lot of people that have made their money cleaning sewers out oh absolutely think of the money in waste management think of the money in recycling it's a dirty job but there's a lot of money in there would you be willing to do anything if you had to do it to get to that funding source to buzz broke absolutely anything it didn't matter I mean, I've been a cashier in a Walmart store. This is... I mean, if you got to eat shit, do it all at one time. Don't do it in a, don't, don't, don't do it in bite-sized chunks. Go all in. <laughs> Go all in. All in. Man. All in.
So on a personal note, what do you think about my golf game? I think you've been working a lot. <laughs> that is a true story. That is a true story. If you had an opportunity to spend a couple minutes telling all these remarkable 10x people here some words of wisdom, some guidance, some advice about the pursuit of excellence and chasing their dreams, what would you say to them? You know, I, I've been fortunate to um, study a lot of different people, learn from different people, be around different people, um, you know, pursue, pursue mentors, pursue sponsors, learn from, and pick people that are different than you. The natural inclination is to pick someone like you. The real value in learning and growing and expanding your horizon is to pick somebody who's different than you and learn from them. And the ability to do that and be in that continual learner, you know, I, 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 I love uh, energy and hunger. I used to hire people because of great expertise. I now hire people because of energy and hunger. That trumps experience. I want people that are hungry, that want to learn, that want to grow, or want to be the best they can possibly be. And, and you know, great people want to work for great leaders. And if you're having trouble attracting great people, reset yourself, change your story, mm. you know, change your story, change how you're approaching, stretch people. There's so many things in that that I think are really important. Most of the time, if you have high expectations for people and you lay them out there, they'll figure out how to get them done. The good people will find a way or make a way to get it done. And too many times, too many times leaders settle for what they think someone could do. And that's actually limiting the person. Because you're, you're putting a limit on what you think someone else could do, so that's what I'm going to ask them to do. Ask for the moon. Shoot for it. See if they figure it out. Worst case scenario, they learn. Fail fast, learn fast. Fail fast, learn fast. Iterate. Fail fast, learn fast. You know, create an environment, a culture where that matters. Ask people their opinion. Get them involved in, the, in what you're trying to accomplish and let them know how that affects them. If you can't articulate your vision so clearly that people see themselves in it, it's not, the right, it's not at the right tone and, the, and at the right level. So those, you know, those, those things, I, I believe in the power of people. I've, I've been, I, I have worked for some of the most incredible people in the world, and they had very high expectations, and they weren't, no matter what, they weren't changing. I wanted to ask you about that, because I partnered with one of those maniacs, and I was hoping to get some free counseling. Um, I have to deal with a guy who thinks, everything should be 10 times bigger. Mm -hmm. I have to deal with a guy who pushes his people as hard as he can because he believes they have the capacity. Correct. 
I have a guy who doesn't take any excuses for any reasons for why things fail, only cares about what we're going to do to improve it. I have a business partner who wants to reach out to 8 billion people. So by the way, when you ask about 10X Health, he's like, I expect, Brandon, 8 billion people. <laughs> That's how he thinks. Yeah. And you've had the privilege to subordinate basically under three of the most powerful business tycoons in the globe. How was it you were able to take second seat and work with those people and support them without feeling like you wanted first seat? I was always learning. If I hadn't have been learning, then I could have done it. So as long as I'm learning, I'm improving. And I had a lot of opportunities to leave for different things and different opportunities over the years. Um, some of them were more money, some of them weren't, but I, I literally knew that if I was passionate about something and I was actually pretty good at it, that I was gonna be just fine no matter what I did. So the ability to work for people who attract excellence, who are changing the world, I mean, that's the thing. You look at the three guys I've worked, they change the world in their own respective industries. The world's different because of them. Like them, love them, hate them, not like, you know, whatever. They changed the world. And that was inspiring to me. I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. And creating an environment with your team like that, I think is important. And, you know, if you find yourself explaining why you can't do something, you're losing. And I just, it was just never in our DNA at any of those stops to, you know, to rationalize or explain away why you couldn't do something. Find a way or make a way. So, which is why a guy like he and I can work for powerful people and work with powerful people because they have such a capacity and they're going so big. You can see yourself supporting and being underneath them. And I would say to many of you as business owners, if you're not painting that big enough picture for people, you're not going to attract people that are talented like what we can contribute because your, your picture's too small. So always paint a bigger picture. I have one last question for you, Kevin. Sure. What does 10X mean to you? 10X, um, to me, is a mindset. It's a mindset that says whatever you're thinking, 10X. And don't put a limit on 10X. Could be 100X, could be a million X, could be 8 billion X. Um, but it's a mindset. It's having a mindset to be bold, to be ambitious, to dream and stretch. You know, if the shoe fits, you're not allowing enough room for growth, so to speak. And I, and I think it, it is a helpful mechanism for people to get out of their comfort zone, to think big, go big, uh, and, and have the right mentality to scale. And subsequently, the benefits that come with that are freedom and flexibility and a whole lot of other things that you guys talk about. Um, and I'm a believer in, I, I, I sort of do my best. I mean, I'm a work in process, but I aspire to be a 10 X person in how I try to approach things in my life. And that that's, that's one of the things that drew me to being here today. Hey everybody. Thank you for watching this episode of building billions with Kevin Turner and myself. I'm curious to know your thoughts. So please leave your review below.